he's not quite ready for the NHL yet. Stop playing and passing on the perimeter. The Islanders play 11 games in 19 days. That's pretty grueling. Heading into their all-star break. Ready to barge through my door to tell me how wrong I am. Newsday presents the Island Ice Podcast with Andrew Gross. And welcome to Island Ice, Newsday's New York Islanders podcast. Happy and healthy New Year, everyone. And hi, I'm your host, Andrew Gross of Newsday, still tweeting at A Gross Newsday. And hopefully, and I know you've heard this, figuring out Instagram at some point at that same A Gross Newsday address. I'm coming to you from my hotel room in Edmonton as the Islanders are midway through a four-game Western swing that opened with a lethargic, discouraging 4-1 loss in Seattle. And after a bad first period in Vancouver, they followed with a 6-2 win over the Canucks. They still have the Oilers and Flames to go on back-to-back nights to finish this trip. And as I mentioned, in a hotel room in Edmonton, I I wound up uh, in the same hotel as the team is staying in, and I guess as I speak into the microphone, I just have this vision of Lou Lamarillo being in the in the room next to me, listening to everything I uh, say and taking down notes and ready to barge through my door to tell me how wrong I am, but uh, I, I, I don't think that will happen. We'll progress, listen to the whole episode, see what happens, and on this episode... We'll discuss what we've seen, what we need to see, and what we might see. I have a chat with defenseman Noah Dobson, some additional audio from both Matthew Barzell and Casey Sezikis, and of course, your questions for Andrew's answers. And as we speak, the Islanders are seemingly getting healthier, finally, as they battle Metropolitan Division foes, the Rangers, Penguins, Capitals, uh, Devils, all of them thrown in there for, for playoff positions with the, the Hurricanes, even though the, uh, the Rangers finally snapped their, 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 their point streak and their winning streak, the, uh, Hurricanes now comfortably atop the division. Uh, goalie Semyon Varlamov is dressing again and will start either in Edmonton or Calgary, and that would mark his first game since December 17th in Vegas. He took himself out in the third period because of what he uh, disclosed this week was a groin issue. Cal Clutterbuck keeps going through full practices and morning skates as he battles apparently a right-hand issue. Kyle Palmieri is skating on his own, not quite yet ready uh, to rejoin his teammates, or he hasn't yet after suffering an upper body injury in Arizona on December 16th. Uh, I believe that was the same game uh, Clutter got hurt in, and those two right wings uh, should be welcome additions back into the lineup with with uh, so much uncertainty with both Oliver Wallstrom and Simon Holmstrom. Uh, those two are out with lower body injuries. The Islanders have said Wallstrom will be out indefinitely, and I, I, I saw that as actually kind of troubling because uh, it, it looked Certainly, like Holmstrom's knee-to-knee collision with the Panthers, Sam Bennett actually caused a more serious injury, but Holmstrom still being listed as day-to-day. Wallstrom out indefinitely. Neither joined the Islanders on this trip, nor did 
defenseman Adam Pellick, who will wind up missing at least a month with what we also suspect is a head injury he suffered on December 6th. Uh, As of our last ask, Pellick hadn't even begun skating yet. So I I don't think it's outside the realm of possibility. Uh, We we could go through the All-Star break here without seeing Adam Pellick. He's not practicing uh, or after not practicing or skating for that long. It should take him sometime once he does get back on the ice and ultimately rejoins practices to really get back into game condition. That's that's a long time, especially if it was a head injury where he really wasn't able to do much, at least for a, a period of time. It's going to take Pellick some time to get back into game condition. Um, as mentioned before, the Islanders started this trip with one of their poorer efforts of the season. It was sort of like those home-and-away losses to the Coyotes or their home loss to the Devils earlier this season. And at their worst, as the Islanders were in those games, they, they just look slow, they generate little as they struggle with zone entries, they struggle to establish a forecheck as a result of struggling with zone entries, uh, their passing is a struggle with few tape-to-tape connections. Uh, it, it just bogs the whole machine down. And when, when you talk about a team playing fast or a team not playing fast, it's, yeah, it helps to have fast skaters, but that's not really what playing fast is. It, it's being able to move the puck quickly up the ice. And, and when you're struggling on those tape-to-tape connections and you get bogged down in your defensive zone, is has been... What's happened to the Islanders, as it does to to a lot of teams, but from time to time we've seen it with the Islanders. Uh, that's why they look slow, so slow. And honestly, that's how Tuesday's game in Vancouver started. Uh, it was a really sluggish first period with with many of those symptoms. Uh, but then Coach Lane Lambert shuffled his lines again, and uh, this time, voila. The uh, the Islanders scored three in the second period, scored three more in the third period. They they won six to two. Casey Sezikis was skating with Matthew Barzell again, uh, along with Josh Bailey. Hudson Fashing wound up with Brock Nelson and Anders Lee that bumped Anthony Beauvillier down uh, with J.G. Pajot and Zach Parisi. And then the the revamped fourth line of Atu Ratu between Matt Martin and, and Ross Johnson received uh, limited shifts really all through all three periods. Um, and, and then the Canucks, you know, taken out of the rotation, the Canucks, Bruce Boudreau sort of cut down to three lines. Lane Lambert really countered that. But even before that first and second period, second period, a lot of special teams work in Atu Ratu, not on the power play right now. So, uh, they, they lost shifts there in the first period. They just, you know, just didn't get to it. But Atu Ratu did score his second NHL goal, and that's in five games. And, uh, you know, he has those shifts where he, he does look pretty good. And uh, we'll, we'll talk more about him later. But obviously, the, the overall product is still an unfinished one uh, for Atu Ratu. And uh, that's what development is all about. And, uh Lane Lambert discussed after the game when asked about the lack of ice time for Atu Ratu. Uh, you know, he said that the rookie gets it and he understands what the Islanders are trying to do to build 
build his game. Now, uh, that that's Lambert speaking. Uh, I have not uh, had a chance to talk to Atu Ratu uh, since the Vancouver game. The Islanders did not practice between the Canucks and the Oilers game. And to be honest, I did not see Atu Ratu in the uh, dressing room post-game after the Canucks game. Meanwhile, Matthew Barzell, as we've discussed, uh, he extended his goal streak to a career-high four games uh, in the win over the Canucks. And and Barzell, who grew up uh, uh, outside of Vancouver, now has at least one point in all eight games. He's played at Rogers Arena. He makes no bones about how special that is for him. He had about 50. That's a five with a zero after it. Uh, 50 family and friends uh, in the arena on Tuesday. A special night again for him. And with the All-Star Weekend coming up uh, February 3rd and 4th in Sunrise, Florida, you would think Matthew Barzell would be the Islanders' leading candidate. But uh, he's not their only one. Uh, I'm not sure whether the Islanders get one or two on the team. Um, but uh, Brock Nelson certainly could get some consideration, as could goalie Ilya Sorokin and defenseman Noah Dobson. And I, I, I chatted a bit with uh, uh, about the All-Star uh, weekend with Dobson. Uh, that came at the end of a conversation uh, I had with Dobson uh, before the uh, Canucks game, after the morning skate. Um, and it, it started, obviously, we, we've all seen, we all know what happened in, in the Monday night football game, the Bills and Bengals, Bills safety, uh, DeMar Hamlin. Uh, just uh, such a scary scene. Uh, gets up after making a tackle and then about two, three seconds later topples over backwards, uh, you know, is administered to on the field. Turns out he suffered an on-field cardiac arrest, still still in the hospital. Uh, you know, the vital signs, as the family reports, things seem to be improving, but he's still not out of the woods. I believe he's still in critical condition and just a, a scary, scary scene. So uh, the, the conversation with Noah Dobson uh, starts there as Noah uh, sort of is, expresses the emotions he and the Islanders felt after watching uh, what happened in, in on Monday Night Football. Saw what happened in the football game last night. Just, yeah. You know, a, a kid that age, like, how does that impact the room if it does? Uh, well, I think, I mean, obviously everyone saw it. I think it's it's obviously scary. I think uh, you never, in any sport, whether it's your sport or someone else's professional sport, it's, uh, it's hard to see stuff like that. But I think obviously it's uh, kind of gives you that eerie feeling. Um, but I think we're grateful also with how great the medical staffs are where situations like that you saw how quick of a response and how yeah. much care he was able to get and obviously we're, we're sending his best wishes I think uh, it's scary hopefully uh, everything will be okay some prayers for sure yeah I, mean, I saw it I was like depressed the rest of the night yeah. it was like but anyway. yeah it's, it's hard I think it's uh, stuff like that it hits close to home right yeah. so that's why it's uh, gives that kind of pit in your stomach, yeah. but uh, it's, uh, it's hard to see. But obviously, hopefully, everything uh, goes all right and he'll be okay. When, when they switch like power play units around, like 
Does anything change for you, or is it a sense of it's not necessarily the personnel, it's got to be the execution, right? Yeah, I think, I mean, not much is going to change with how I'm getting to play on the power play, what they need from me. I mean, I need to, I need to get shots through. I need to hit, find the guy's sticks, hit the open guys on the flanks too. But I think it's just more of a, when things aren't going so well, just trying to spark new things. I think uh, but as a player, we, we all have our goals, whether you're on top, the half wall, you, you have the, the things that you need to do to have success in the power play. So I think it's just uh, more execution from everyone as a five-man unit and whoever you're out with out there with just make sure you're doing your your part yeah i know i've asked you this a lot but the way your game is developing what is what's the feeling you know in in terms of confidence and just you know knowing what you can do as it expands yeah yeah no i i I got a lot of confidence i think uh you got to play with confidence uh, out there you gotta trust your instincts trust yourself i think uh just more and more time goes on to get more comfortable but I think now with uh, having some a little bit of experience of playing a couple of years now I, I know what I need to do to have success in the league and the type of game I need to play I think obviously offensively you need to produce but I think uh, that stuff comes when I'm, I'm being solid defensively I'm uh, closing quick in the D zone and breaking pucks out well I think that that translates to the offensive game so I think just continue to be confident and try and make most plays as you can. I, I know Lane has talked about and Lou has talked about the defensive side. I'm sure they don't say anything to us. They don't say to you. Yeah. Right? Do you do you notice improvements defensively, like just the way you think the game? Yeah, yeah, for sure. I think if I looked at where I say my defensive game was a year ago or whatever, I think to now it's uh, it's gotten a lot better. I think. It's it's hard as a young D-man in the league, uh, offensive guy, minded guy. To you gotta learn how to defend in the league. The players are so good. I think it, it takes time with D-man, but uh, I think now I think I'm, I'm close to whatever 200 games. I've kind of got a feel of uh, how I need to defend to have success. But I feel like I've gotten a lot better defensively, and obviously you can continue to build. And I think overall. Uh, I don't just see myself as a, an offensive guy. I want to be that two-way guy that can be trusted in all situations. So that's kind of what I'm working towards. I, I, I have no advanced knowledge of yeah. I'll say that. But they're going to announce the All-Stars at some point in the next. I, I don't even know when it is, but yeah. it's coming up soon, right? What, if, if it happens this year, next year, whenever, what, what would that mean for you? Uh, yeah, I mean, obviously it would be really cool. Uh be cool honor i think as a kid you kind of grow up watching them but i think for me being at my age i think it's not something i really focus on too much i think uh we got so many great guys in this room that deserve to go and i'm still young but i think obviously as uh, the years go on the more you play it'd be a be a cool thing to experience and get selected one time but it's definitely not something i'm focusing on and talking about noah dobson and also talking about personnel shuffling Uh, The power play units had a different look against the Canucks. The Islanders entered that game 1-for-30 in a 1-for-30 slump on the man advantage over a a 10-game span. Um, Against the Canucks, uh, the the shuffling led Noah Dobson to quarterback Anthony Beauvillier and Brock Nelson on the half walls. Hudson Fashing was used in the bumper spot and uh, Anders Lee as usual, was the net front presence on the other unit. 
Uh, Ryan Pulak was uh, was the defenseman, the, the quarterback of that. Uh, Barzell and Josh Bailey were on the half walls. Uh, Jean-Gabriel Pajot uh, was in the bumper spot. And Zach Parisi, as usual, at the net front. Pajot uh, did score a power play goal. He deposited the rebound of uh, Ryan Pulak's blast uh, from the point. And that, to me, just watching that play, that just seemed like a perfect template for what the Islanders need to do much more consistently on the power play. They, they And that's get more shots on net to, to start with. And you, you got to be more aggressive and opportunistic. And to be frank, a little luckier on the rebounds. But most importantly, I think just be more straight line on the power play. You know, a- after the good games, the Islanders play more often than not. You'll hear Coach Lane Lambert or one of the players talk about how the Islanders played a strong North game. They weren't going east to west, meaning side to side. Uh, they were direct and, and forceful getting up the ice. And I really think the same holds true on the power play. And uh, that that is not how the Islanders operate uh, a lot of the times. It is not a straight line North power play uh, by any means, uh, which is why, like I said, I, I thought the Pajot goal was really, that, that was a picture-perfect template. You get the blast, you got Pajot with position uh, right off the post, and he just, you know, cleaned it up. He just popped in the rebound, and that's that's how good power plays work. And Lane Lambert discussing the power play changes prior to Tuesday's game spoke about the need for the Islanders to be much cleaner in their offensive zone entries. And I, I wrote about the power play changes going into Tuesday's uh, game. And, uh, and and a former coach I know reached out to me. And, and, and the take was this, um, and I'm quoting here. Until they admit to themselves that everyone standing around at the blue line waiting for Barzell to take a drop pass and weave into the zone, uh, changing the wingers is a waste of time. Uh, once it is in the zone and everything is pass, pass, pass from Barzell to the high defenseman, they're just playing with themselves. And obviously, uh, I agree to a certain extent there is a bit of truth there, and which is why I said the Islanders really do need to concentrate on a more straight line effort on the power play like the temple uh, the template of the Jean Gabriel Pajot goals stop playing and passing on the perimeter um and if you watch the power play after the personnel changes it really was there were, there was i i don't maybe there was one but it really seemed like the Islanders cut down on those drop passes, be it to uh, Barzell or, or someone else. And, uh, you know, so I, I really thought it was a, a good sign for the power play, the way they performed uh, in Vancouver as they went one for two. And uh, they wound up with uh, one goal on four power play shots over their two power play chances. Um and, and speaking of Matthew Barzell, and speaking of more of a straight-line game and, and playing a little bit more assertive, Barzell is seemingly 
already taken heed of that. He really is playing a more assertive game, uh, certainly through this four-game goal streak, which has yielded five games. And he was asked a couple of times after Tuesday's game whether he's looking to shoot more. And at first, he answered no. And to be honest, the statistics bear that out. His goal on Tuesday uh, was his lone shot on net. Um and he actually, you know, he only had two chances. He had the one shot on net, and then he had one miss shot. So, you know, when he answers, you know, are you looking to shoot more? And he says no. Like I said, the statistics sort of bear that out. But just a couple of minutes, uh, I asked a, a different question, and, and Barzell seemed to change his mind. As a player, how does it build upon itself? You know, you get a goal, you get another goal, and it just... It starts coming naturally. Well, I mean, yeah. Now it's now it's you know just maybe I am looking to shoot a little more. You know, it doesn't feel like that mentally, but um, you know maybe I am uh, pulling the trigger a little quicker than than past. I thought I actually turned down a pretty good look today from Casey that he gave me. So um, I knew if I got another look, I was going to shoot. Also, here's uh, temporary linemate Casey Sezikis, and I put temporary. In parentheses, uh, obviously, when the the Islanders uh, get healthier, I, I think uh, you know Casey Sezikis will not be on Barzell's right wing, or Barzell will not be on Sezikis's right wing. Um, but anyway, here's Sezikis's take on what's fueled Matthew Barzell's goal streak. And as a reminder, Matthew Barzell went without a goal in his first 18 games this season, but. He left Vancouver tied for fourth on the team with 10 goals. And like I said, he has five goals in that four-game streak. He's leading the Islanders with 40 points through that game in Vancouver. And he was also fourth on the Islanders with 92 shots. What are you seeing out of Matthew Barzell right now that's allowing him to, you know, chip in so consistently up with the goals? Uh, he's playing with a lot of confidence right now. Uh the way he's getting up the ice, the way he's controlling the play. He's making things happen, and he, he's drawing a lot of guys to him, which is uh, making, um, giving other guys opportunities to, to get open and make plays, and that's what he does best. He's he's dominant when he has the puck, and he, you know, he's, he's, he's focusing on doing the right things in our end and being in the right places to put him in a spot where he can get the puck and get up the ice as quick as he can, and that's something that I think that's the biggest difference. Uh, with his game right now, and you can see the way that he's skating, the way that he's controlling the play, it's, it's making a big difference. Obviously, Matthew Barzell's continued play at the level he's playing at is a must, and it sort of also highlights uh, the ongoing need for President and General Manager Lou Lamarillo to, to find a suitable scoring talent to place on Barzell's line to make the Islanders a truly dangerous teams if they are indeed fortunate enough to make the playoffs. Trade deadline is March 3rd, and here's a little of what's coming up before then. Um, the conclusion of this four-game road trip will see the Islanders at the midway point of the season. 41 games in, 41 to play, and the Islanders return uh, from this western swing with a five-game homestand from January 10th through the 18th, they play six of their seven, next seven after coming off the road um, at home, and that's through January 21st. And overall, 
The Islanders play 11 games in 19 days. That's pretty grueling, heading into their all-star break. Uh, and the competition is tough too, though that actually might play to the Islanders' favor as they've both played up to and played down to the competition level this season. Uh, uh, amongst those 11 games in 19 days, that includes matches against playoff contenders such as the Stars, the Wild, the Caps, uh, Bruins, uh, the Sabres, who are hanging around and have Tage Thompson, who's already hit 30 goals. Uh, the Hurricanes, as mentioned, uh, atop the Metropolitan Division, uh, the Maple Leafs, and, and the Vegas Golden Knights, who uh, the Islanders did go out 5-2 uh, win in Vegas, one of their better wins uh, of late. Um, so it wasn't surprising at all when Lane Lambert, who, when he was asked about the importance of the stretch before the All-Star break, he concurred immediately. And he also knew exactly how many games there were to be played, uh, et cetera. He, he rattled it off. When he was asked, uh, it was 17 games. And uh, he had that number right at the tip of the tongue. And there, there were none of these cliched one-game-at-a-time answers that, that too often become knee-jerk reaction to questions. Lane Lane was very adamant that, yes, this this is a very crucial stretch to the season. Uh, is it a, a stretch to call this stretch a, a make-or-break? Well, if it breaks wrong, then, yeah, it, it very definitely could be a make-or-break stretch for the Islanders. And speaking of questions, I will do my best here as I delve into your queries. It's time for your questions with Andrew's Answers. And we'll start here with uh, Adam Schechter, who says, what helps explain how the Islanders are consistently inconsistent? At home recently, they were dominant, and yes, there was a three-game homestand that they swept with a couple of 5-1, impressive 5-1 wins over both the Penguins and the Panthers. Um, so at home recently, they were dominant and smothering opponents. And, and I should mention uh, that followed a 1-2-2 two and two road trip. So at home recently, they were dominant, smothering an opponents. And uh, other times they look listless and almost lost. Particularly on the road, is it gaps in talent, line chemistry, or something else that contributes to this? And, uh, you know, I, I think I've touched upon a few things um, even before Andrew's answers. Um, one, it's a matter of playing fast and, and those games, those inconsistent games where the passes aren't going right. Um, and, and some of them, yes, have been on the road. They look slow and, and they just sometimes just get run out of buildings. Why are they not consistent enough? Well, uh, to me, uh, look, the Islanders, unless Matthew Barzell is going and Brock Nelson and Noah Dobson, uh, those three guys I mentioned as all-star candidates, you know, if all three of those are, are, are have an off night, it's very hard for the Islanders to win, there's just not a lot of production uh, they're getting from elsewhere. So it, particularly now, you know, Oliver Wallstrom, even though he had been inconsistent with his production despite a lengthy 
chance, which we all cried for last season, to Barry Trotz uh, playing on the top line. Um, Wallstrom really didn't grab the reins there before getting hurt and... uh, uh, Kyle Palmieri being out, Cal Clutterbuck being out. Um, you know, a- Anthony Beauvillier has pitched in a little bit more, but he he went through a stretch with not a lot of production. Josh Bailey's production is down. Um, so you know, and also Anders Lee went through a stretch where there wasn't a lot of production. And so honestly, you know, those games where the tape to tape passes aren't connecting. Uh, and, and also Nelson, Dobson, Barzell, uh, can't get on the score sheet. The Islanders really struggle to find their games. Uh, and I think that's why they look inconsistent, um, through, through that, through those, uh, types of games. And also, as I mentioned, the Islanders seem to play up to the competition. So they've had some of their better games against uh, teams, you know, the, the likes of uh, they played a good game against the Hurricanes. They played good games against the Rangers. They had, they played a good game in Boston against the Bruins. It was a shootout loss. Uh, they've played well against some of the NHL's tougher competition. And then, as I mentioned, you get those, you know, they, they got swept in a season series by the Arizona Coyotes. And look, no disrespect to the, to the players that the Coyotes are fielding, but the, the Coyotes are not in it to win it this season. They, they just aren't. They're rebuilding, uh, they're rebuilding what they want to do. Should I say rebuilding? I mean, I know they got to the conference final once a long time ago, but, you know, what have they really built in Arizona? So I don't know if it's fair to say rebuilding. Anyway, the point is uh, the inconsistency is, you know, uh, is also playing down against the competition. And, uh, yeah, I I, I think you you say gaps in talent. Um, I don't think it's line chemistry. Um, I, I do think the Islanders need an infusion of some more talent into their lineup. Um, Let's see, uh, a couple of questions here I'll roll out. John Valero uh, says, why in your opinion do they play Josh Bailey so many minutes when he's clearly too slow and creates very little offense? And Eric Levine uh, chimes in with, how does Lou still have a job and why is Josh Bailey still in the NHL? Well, look, you know, (laughs) uh, and I'm not laughing at you guys. I know you were voicing a displeasure that many Islander fans have and uh, you know, Josh Bailey has had one of the more star-crossed careers, I think, with the Islanders. Here's a guy who's going to finish up on a lot of the franchise records, and he's going to play, you know, he's including games played. He might play his whole career for this team. Obviously a very high pick and, uh, you know, a little bit of a slow start to his career. And now on the other side of 30, the production is down. Um, what I can tell you is the, the coaches trust this guy implicitly, and so does Lou. Um, and I know you will, you guys can take that for what it, you know, and, and run with that. But I, I'm telling you, and it's not just the, the management uh Josh's teammates swear by him. They 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 just do. Uh, you know he's he's been a core member of that group, uh, and it's a very tight knit group. And yes, Josh, uh, had, particularly in Vancouver, there were a few turnovers again. Um, but 
<laughs> you know, they, they, lo they love, and I know you guys hate this phrase, they love his hockey IQ, and, and they feel like he does all the subtle little things, and, and he makes the group better as a whole. Um, and that's just what his teammates and the coaching staff believe. They, they wholeheartedly believe that. So that's, that's why he's getting those minutes. And look, you saw him. He's been a healthy scratch a couple of times this season, and I, I, you know, I don't think it's going out on a limb saying there's a chance that that may happen again. As for Lou still having a job, all I can tell you is until ownership decides that they do not have a hundred percent trust in Lou, Lou will have a job with this organization because uh, it, it is, as far as ownership is concerned, it's a very good setup for the way ownership wants to. Uh, run the Islanders, having a guy like Lula Amarillo, who is so autocratic and, and so much of a micromanager, um, that this is the way ownership wants to proceed right now. And until they don't want to proceed, that's, that's, uh, that's as long as Lou will have a job in this organization. Um, meanwhile, we get this from William Yermel, who says, uh, Beauvillier and Bailey have played a little bit better the last couple of weeks, do you think they feel the heat from the Islanders rookies playing well? And you know what? I, I do think there is something to that, uh, William. I, and I asked Lane Lambert about that. Coaches always talk about back pressure within the organization, meaning these guys coming up through the system, challenging the veterans for playing time. And uh, look, everything is a competition in the NHL. And uh, you, you're never... You're you're never it's never a uh, position for the rest of your career. You you really do have to fight tooth and nail uh, to stay at a certain level. And uh, yeah, I, I, Bo and Bailey are both very smart players and very smart guys, and 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 they see that, especially with Josh having been a, a healthy scratch a couple of times. Yes, I I, I agree with you uh, that they they may feel some quote unquote heat from. Uh, some of the other guys, uh, you know, Hudson Fashing, certainly. Um, Simon Holmstrom was okay. Uh, you know, I don't think he's ever going to be a, a top six forward, but he can be a very serviceable, uh, you know, bottom six forward in the NHL. And, uh, you know, Atu Ratu, uh, even though I don't think this is his time, uh, there, there is pressure from him, uh, because it's coming. Um, let's see, a, a, a few... Questions on the same uh, subject that I'll just uh, read off. Uh, let's see. Michael uh, Michael Klink says, How long will Lane Lambert continue to keep fashing Uratu in the lineup when Clutterbuck and or Palmieri are healthy enough to play? Lurchmob says, Will they consider sitting Bailey over Ratu and Fashing both have earned it when Clutter and Palms return. Uh, Ruby Tuesday says, why the hesitation to play Ratu up in the lineup? He is quite obviously not a fourth-line type. I, I agree with that. Um, a player, uh, last night's six goals were obviously an anomaly. anomaly. Vancouver is the seventh-worst team in the league. Ratu's scoring is needed in one of the top two lines. And Nick G says, why not give Ratu more minutes with Barzell or Nelson? And finally, David Schwartz says, why is Ratu receiving so few shifts minutes despite seemingly playing well? 
And the very simple answer is, and I know you look at the score sheet and I know you see the, the goal Ratu scored, but the determination from the organization is, is Ratu is just, uh, he's not quite ready for the NHL yet. And he needs more time in the AHL. And they are really trying to protect him here with, with some limited minutes. And I agree, he's not in the spot he probably will be when he establishes himself as an NHL regular. He, you know, he may start the Brock Nelson route where he's really a top six talent or, you know, uh, that, 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 that winds up on the third line for a while because you do have Matthew Barzell and you do have uh, uh, Brock Nelson. You also have Jean-Gabriel Pajot. So, you know, brave, becoming a top two center is going to be difficult in this organization for Atu Ratu. But ultimately, and, he, and he's, he is a center. He, he's, he's not a wing. He's a center. Um, ultimately, you want to see him project as a, as a, a you know, top six forward. Um, but right now, at 20 years old, they they don't feel he's ready, you know, to, to be getting 13, 14 minutes in the NHL. They just don't. Um, look, when Palmieri and and Clutterbuck are ready, when, when they're ready, they're going back into the lineup. And uh, I, I think the first guy who comes out will probably be Ross Johnson. I would say Atu Ratu will be the second guy who comes out. Um, and then, you know, look, when both Clutter and, and Palmieri are back, yeah, there's a, there's a good chance that Hudson Fashion comes out. Although, I, I think they might keep him around at the NHL level if they have the roster space. Because I, I, he's, he's proven to be a, a very serviceable uh, NHL player. Um, and, and and good for him. He's it's taken him a while, <laughs> you know. And, and no one knows that more than Hudson Fashion. But he's he's really helped this team um, when they come up. And uh, so no, I, I don't see them considering sitting Bailey over Ratu and Fashing. Um, uh, let's see. Uh, next up, um, Jeff says, "What's the best part of the Western Canada trip for you personally?" and uh, uh, I'll I'll start with this. I love Vancouver, and and having getting Seattle into this uh, into this league has been great too, because that that that's a fun city as well. Um, I do like Vancouver better. Um, you know, I, I think there's some better restaurants in Vancouver, and uh, uh, neighborhoods are a little nicer to walk through. Uh, quite honestly, in Vancouver uh, than than in Seattle. Um, but I really, and I didn't get a chance on this trip. It was rainy the one day we had where in Vancouver. And there was also a morning skate, so it wasn't like I could, uh, you know, devote a whole morning. But I love getting down to the harbor area. I love seeing the seaplanes uh, land and take off. I love, you know, before my knees went, um, I love jogging through Stanley Park. I could do that forever, just rack up the miles through Stanley Park, it, it, it's it's beautiful along the waterfront. And I encourage anyone who gets a chance to, to travel to Vancouver, you know, if you get a chance, take it. Because beautiful, beautiful city. And uh, one of these years, I am going to get on one of those seaplanes and do that little tour. I was thinking this this year might be the year, but uh, that, that one day we had in Vancouver, it was, it was unfortunately, we traveled today and it was beautiful this morning. 
Uh, but you know, I didn't have time. I had to get right out to the airport, but, uh, uh, on game day, it was very, very rainy and misty. And even if I'd gone up in a seaplane, uh, one of those tourist seaplanes, I wouldn't have seen anything because of the cloud cover. Um, let's, uh, run through these questions. Kurt Green says, when, or maybe if all the Islanders defensemen return healthy, does Wotherspoon push Aho out of the lineup? And Salo to Bridgeport. Uh, A asks, do you think they consider removing Aho from the lineup over Wotherspoon when Pellick returns? Uh, Mark Wells says, any update on Pellick? Are we even sure it's a concussion? Have you seen him around the team at all? Guide Bear says, when Pellick is healthy, does Wotherspoon stay and Salo go to Bridgeport? Uh, given their ages, I would think Salo would do better with the ice time. I'll start there, Guide Bear. Yeah, I agree. Um, that is probably going to be the case. I, I think Parker Wotherspoon, uh, after he, he spent eight seasons or parts of eight seasons in Bridgeport, there's nothing much more he can get out of Bridgeport. Um, I think he could be, uh, this, the seventh defenseman, a, a guy that, you know, uh, can go stretches the games without playing, but when you put him in the game, you know he's going to be fine. And I agree. I think Robin Sallow just was his second season in North America. I think he needs a little bit more time at Bridgeport right now. I certainly think the organization thinks that. Um, I do not believe. I, I think Sebastian Ajo will remain in the lineup over Wotherspoon whenever Pellick is ready to return. Um, because I, th I think they see Parker Weatherspoon as more of a seventh D man. And I, I think they see Sebastian Ajo, even though he's smaller and he gets, you know, pushed off the puck a little bit, although he's simplified his game and he's playing much better this season. And the, 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 the takeaways or the giveaways are really reduced. He's not turning the puck over as he did in the past, which really hindered him from being an NHL player. Now they can trust him in the lineup each day. And, uh, so, no, I, I say Ajo stays in. Wotherspoon probably remains as a seventh. Sallow would go to Bridgeport as, uh, uh, and that's, you know, assuming when Adam Pellick comes back. And as far as Mark Wells' question, any update on Pellick? No. And are we even sure it's a concussion? Uh, the Islanders have never said that. I've been writing it's a suspected head injury, um, but we all saw what happened on the ice, which is why we all suspect it's a head injury. And no, I have not seen him around the team at all. And granted, I'm on the road all this week, so he could be uh, skating back at Northwell Health Ice Center. But as I mentioned earlier, as of our last ask of Lou and and Lane, uh, they said he had not resumed skating yet. Um, Ryan Jenkins says, are you driving with Greg Pickery, Cannon? No. And that's the reference to a previous episode uh, um, for the game up in Ottawa. Greg and I actually wound up staying in, in Montreal. It's only a two-hour drive, and that was to get a direct flight because the flights out of Ottawa are a little dicey, uh, especially getting direct flights. Um, back to the New York area. So uh, I threw Greg Picker in the car and as payment for me driving him back to Montreal, I uh, uh, forced him to record a, a podcast episode with me. So no, not driving with Greg Picker again, but I will say uh, going from Seattle up to Vancouver, uh, Kevin Kurz of The Athletic and I uh, opted to take Amtrak and uh, what a scenic trip that was. 
Uh, just you go up the coastline, the mountains are in the background, they're snow-capped. It was like, if you like sitting on Amtrak, and it was, you know, we got delayed. We had to wait for some freight trains to, to pass by uh, just before going over the border. So it was about a five-hour trip, but if, if you don't mind sitting still on a train and just staring out a window, um, and, and I love Amtrak. I can take Amtrak anyway, anywhere. I've gone across the USA and back on Amtrak, so I love it. Um, that, that was one of the highlights of the trip, too, was just seeing that kind of scenery, uh, as, like I said, Kevin Kurz and I doing it, but no great picker on this trip for me. Um, couple of questions here. Thomas Boyle says, with Vancouver up against the cap and Bo Horvat uh, asking for a trade, and I, uh, I don't know that he's asked for a trade yet. It's just assumed because the Canucks are not going to be able to get him in under the cap. What is the asking price at this time for his services? Uh, I think Vancouver has a less than a million in cap space. Rich uh, Petras says, Bo Horvat looks like a great fit. Am I dreaming? What do you think he would cost? Uh, and are you as high on him as I am? Um, and yeah, you know, look, certainly Bo Horvat scored the only two goals for the Canucks against the Islanders. He he looks great. Um, someone said uh, Bo Horvat is looking like Phil Esposito in his prime right now, and that's pretty high praise. Um, as, as far as what it would look, he, he would be a good fit for just about any team, right? Even though he's a, a center, um, you know, you, you figure a way to get a talent like that in. Uh, he's going to take up a lot of your cal- salary cap, though. But uh, I would say, and, and, and the reports are that the Canucks are looking for a center, and I think you start with Atu Ratu there, and a right-handed defenseman, and I was, you know, Samuel Bulldog is a lefty, so uh, I'm not quite sure, you know, uh, would the uh, Canucks ask for Noah Dobson? Obviously, the answer there would be no, um, but I, I also think in addition to a defenseman and, and a, you know, a young center, you're, you're probably also going to have to throw in a first-rounder. Um, let's see, Michael said, uh, should Jakob Vrana get bought out by the Detroit Red Wings? Do the Islanders make a play at, say, one year, 750000 or even $1 million? Is it even worth it at that price? And look, I, I think it's definitely a wait-and-see attitude. You saw Jakob Vrana uh, put on waivers. I think his cap hit is $5.2 million. Um, he's been through the, uh, the NHL, NHLPA assistance program. And I think a lot of people are hesitant, especially since, uh, you know, he's been hurt this year and then he was in the assistance program, uh, when healthy. Yeah. He produces goals and assists for you. But I, I, when he got put on waivers, I, I, even if Lou had the cap space for it, I think that would have been a hard pass for Lou, just uh, based on some of the other stuff going on. Um, let's see. Nick Russo says, who should the Islanders be targeting for forward help? And when they should, should they pull the trigger? Also, Pellick status. Do we need a, another defenseman, even if Pellick comes back? And yeah, yeah, I, I actually think Lou, you know, has a twofold shopping list. He needs to get a, a scoring wing, and I think he could use help as a, a lefty defenseman. So if you're talking about forward help, um, 
some names that are probably going to be out there. Timo Meyer, uh, certainly, you know, all things being equal because of the talent, but you got to remember because of the way his contract is structured, he has to be qualified this offseason as a restricted free agent at $10 million. Um, so I, I, I don't know whether that fits for the Islanders. James Van Riemsdyk, and I've mentioned him before, I don't think he's a long-term solution. But for this season, and you could probably get him from the Flyers for pretty cheap, say a third, fourth-round pick, he could help your power play. Maybe the Flyers get a second-round pick for him. Uh, we'll see. And sort of the same deal uh, for Chicago's Max Domi, and he can play either wing or center. Uh, you know, depending on how the market breaks for Max Domi, you're talking a uh, fourth-rounder, you know, the, that would be one end, and then the highest might be a second-rounder. Uh, again, depending on the demand, um, the Canucks are probably going to uh, move Brock Besser, uh, but again, like with Bo Horvat, you're looking at you know, trading Atu Ratu for him and then throwing in a, a defenseman or a defense prospect. Um, let's see. Daniel Castellucci III says, with injuries to Patrick Kane, Vlad Tarasenko, who will be the guy the team's target when the trade deadline comes. Uh, and, oh, sorry. I, uh, <laughs> I was supposed to read that question along with Nick Russo's question, so I, I've already answered that. But, but, but Donald Castellucci also says, uh, what's it like in the press box? Do you and the guys from other outlets compare notes? Or is it more of a competitive culture? And yeah, yeah look, we're all competing uh, you know, for you guys to read us, you know, I want you to read me before you read Kevin Kurz or Ethan Sears in the New York Post or Stefan Rosner in New York Hockey Now is like, give them all free plugs, you know, shows, you know, <laughs> anyway, but yeah, you know, um, it is competitive, but yeah, no, we, we're all friendly. We're, we're, you know, I would call those guys my friends and, uh, in terms of comparing notes, I'm not telling those guys for the most part what I'm writing, but when we watch a game, we'll, we'll talk about the game and, you know, Hey, I just saw this guy do that and, you know, stuff like that. So it's a, it's a little bit of a, a mixture, but yeah, it's competitive. It has to be, this is a business and, and we're competing for people's dollars in terms of subscriptions. Right. Um, so it, 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 it by nature has to be competitive. But we're, we are friendly with, with each other, and we have a lot of fun in the press box. We really do. And the last one is, Will NY, what is your take on the atmosphere between Seattle and Vancouver? I will say I like the arena in Seattle a, a, a lot better. Um, not just from a working standpoint, uh, the arena, uh, Rogers Arena in Vancouver is way too cramped for my liking. It's, you know, it's a clean enough, uh, loud arena. I just find when I'm in the press box, I have no room to move and it's not really conducive, uh, you know, for something I'm comfortable with. Seattle's press box is immaculate. The way they've redone that arena, Climate Pledge Arena, with, with the windows on the sides, sometimes you can see out. Um, and the two scoreboards really work for me. I, I think they've done a fantastic job. I, I will say, 
Um, Vancouver, uh, to me, is a little bit of a louder building, and that may just be because they're piping in uh, more noise. Um, and that's it for your questions for Andrew's Answers, and that's it for episode 151 of Island Ice, Newsday's New York Islanders podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Gross, again on Twitter at A Gross Newsday. And please go to newsday.com backslash aisles for all of Newsday's Islanders content, including back episodes of this podcast. And until we talk again, happy hockey, everybody.